Hello, everyone. Welcome back. And it's good to be back from this short hiatus from the podcast. And I hope everyone's 2022 to 2023 hockey season has been going very well. And you all are happy, healthy, and your birds are the same. And we are now on what is officially our fifth season for the podcast. And it's been kind of nuts kind of reflecting on that. I remember a time not so long ago where I didn't even know if I'd be able to do this for five episodes, let alone for five seasons. So thank you all so much for your continued support and for continuing to ride out this journey with us. It's much appreciated. So we're going to jump back in and do something that's a little different, a little new to the podcast, but... Hopefully we'll be able to do some more of these in the future with some different Falconers. I really enjoyed doing this. It was it was fun, and it was a, kind of a nice change of pace. So you'll hear us discuss at the beginning of the episode here how this came about, but our friend Laura McGow decided to contact us and see if we would be interested in doing an Eagle Q&A since there's been a lot more interest in flying Golden Eagles lately, and there's a lot of information that's not readily available and she thought that in the meantime while she's been kind of putting together a book on this very topic that it might be kind of nice to have a way to get this information out in mass to a lot of people and hopefully help some people out and starting next week i hope to start getting the mexico part two episodes out had a great time down there meeting a bunch of new friends and falconry and got a chance to see a a lot of cool things that I hadn't seen before. And I'm very confident that you all will find some of those conversations very enjoyable and informative. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and get to this Q&A session with Laura McGow. And thank you all again for joining us for this fifth season of the Falconry Told podcast. Here we go. Yeah, this this conversation kind of ended up being a little fortuitous in a way for all the listeners who are tuning into this episode. Uh, ironically enough, as I was looking at pyramids in Mexico the other day with my newfound friends, uh, ironically, one of them decided to ask, hey, do you by chance know Lauren and whatever? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm passing. Yeah, I know Lauren and we've talked and, you know, this, this, that and the other. And then... As I'm flying home in between flights, my connection in Dallas, I get off the plane and look at my email and lo and behold, I have a an email from Lauren <laughs> saying, hey, you want to you want to do an episode that uh, specifically addresses Eagle Falconry in general, kind of a Q&A type of thing. And uh, I said, sure, I think that'd be pretty interesting. And so here we are. And uh, yeah. So what's up? <laughs> All right. Hi, John. Well, thank you for uh, taking my request. I appreciate you having me back on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No worries. Glad to have you. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a little bit different vibe than the usual format, which is totally fine with me. Um, I I think that um, we need to have more of these kind of episodes in the future to maybe answer questions that people might have in general about different things that aren't wide uh widely known topics in falconry i guess 
So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the United States, in my opinion, is one of the best places in the world for eagle falconry, full stop. We have patches, passage take, we can fly rehab goldens, we've got public land, we've got lots of jackrabbits. And yet the very basic knowledge of how to make it all work from the falconer's standpoint isn't very widely known. So I was casting around for ideas of how can I help get this information out there? And I thought about Falconry Told. You have a huge audience. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Yeah, we'll just uh, we'll message the, uh, the the bald, goofy falconer that that, <laughs> that, that I know. And uh, yeah, that, that happens just to talk into a microphone a lot. And uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help out. And um, no, this will be fun. And I guess, I mean, just to, from my own knowledge, this is going to be good, too, because I obviously do not know very much about this topic. And living in Indiana, it's not exactly the most ideal terrain and or area to entertain trying to fly a golden eagle. However, if there was a person to ask to see if one person or oneself, I should say, could make something like that work in a given area, what would be the best, you know, method of doing it, et cetera, et cetera. You would probably be one of the probably be one of the top people to ask. So um yeah, I I guess a good question to start off with is I would personally would like to clarify just uh, a few details on how difficult it is right now to even obtain a golden eagle because I know a lot of places, a lot of states are still lottery based in, you know, kind of how you can draw permits to try and get one. And I think there's a lot of just general perception right now that the only way you can really get one easily, if that's even a term you could even, you know, a word you could even use as far as easily. But as far as like the depredation permits or rehab route, it seems like those are the only really viable options right now. So could you shed some light on that? Absolutely. So you are correct. We don't have captive breeding of golden eagles um, in the United States. At least it's not common. It's not a source for falconry birds. Um, And from 2019, we have been allowed a passage eagle take of six eagles annually. And there is a national lottery for those take permits. Um, So not quite every state, but most states, um, you are allowed to put your name into the hat, which is um, in October. You ha- most you have to notify your falconry coordinator in your state that you would like your name thrown into the hat. And then uh, January 1st each year, the, lo- the drawing is done for the lottery. Um, but this take is quite different. It's not like say you win a a passage peregrine take and you can just go out and trap your own passage peregrine. This is quite involved because it, we are intimately partnered with the ranchers. Um, So our falconry community has to assist the ranchers, um, sheep ranchers in Wyoming, primarily um, a few in Utah that experience depredation loss, typically lamb loss due to golden eagles on their ranches So you are helping them fill out the paperwork. You are volunteering your time to go out there and for USDA documenting that, yes, these lambs have been killed by golden eagles, most probably. And 
um, and submitting the, it's called a Form 37, um, to the government to ask for permission to take an eagle off this ranch. And um, it's very time and money intensive. And so it's not quite a walk in the park at all. Um, and as hard, as difficult as trapping can be, though, I've got to say, under the uh, guidance of Mike Barker, who has long been the chairman of the International Eagle Ostringers Association, our club here in the United States, it, most people that are drawn are able to trap a passage bird directly because of him. Um, but that's just part of the story, right? So then say you do get drawn and you do get your passage eagle, then what? We do not want these to be lawn ornaments or arm candy. We want them to be the incredible falconry and hunting birds that we know they're capable of being. And I have noticed that many times people put into the lottery without a plan in place. And that's, that's very important. And I, it's not rocket science. It's not the most difficult form of falconry by a long shot. But I want to put those expectations out there for people on what they need to have sorted out where they can have a really fun experience hunting in partnership with their eagle. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And yeah, if there's <laughs> if there's a particular species that you definitely wouldn't want to just uh, be a lawn ornament, so to speak, as you so aptly put it. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure that, that <laughs> that's going to work out very well for you. Absolutely. And golden eagles, uh, so they, it's important to look at their natural history. You know, they're the top of the food chain and they bully things out of food. It's in their genetic makeup. It's just what they do. They bully their siblings out of food or their parents, or they dominate carcasses. They bully coyotes out of food that they've caught. And if you don't have the outlet of a good hunting situation, which is most often multiple jackrabbit slips that are catchable, it's very easy for that natural instinct to be turned back towards you. And then you are having to deal with a frustrated, aggressive eagle. And that's fun for nobody. <laughs> no, I can't imagine. No, I, um, yeah, I, that's not the type of bird that I would want perpetually pissed off at me by any stretch of the imagination but uh well as far as that goes then so i mean is there a list somewhere of ranchers that you could contact that you know i kind of voluntarily help in the search for an eagle if you do get the get drawn for the lottery take or so the this club the International Eagle Ostringers Association. It's um, we've got a website. It's just eagleostringers.com. Highly recommend you join. Uh, we're th it's thirty five bucks a year. We've got a really nice journal that has come out recently that's packed with eagle articles, and so the club itself has taken the lead on partnering with ranchers and developing a good relationship with them because it's also there's more to it than just you get drawn, so you run up to this ranch, trap your eagle in two days and go home because the rancher then might feel like, well, I went through all this work to get that permit and they were only on my ranch two days. Um, so they like to have uh, a trapping presence there and um, relocate other immature birds off their ranch. And um, So there's a whole 
enterprise involved. But the number one thing, if you are interested to do, is to join the IEAA. Um, you can join on that website that I mentioned, and that will put you in the loop with how to volunteer and how to have your ducks in a row that if you are drawn, you can get the ball rolling on trapping. But what's interesting is, so legally, I say passage, and I use the term quite loosely because it's really immature eagles that we are allowed to take from fledgling, so they must have fledged, all the way up to um, roughly five years old. So it's quite a big window before they're fully adult. So a very important question that not many people ask is, well, what eagle should I trap? And what I learned in Mongolia, uh, because of course there, you might see on documentaries, people taking IS eagles out of the nest, but truly the what I experienced, the people that are actually doing the most traditional form that are catching multiple foxes uh, or flying passage birds, is they prefer a second or a third year bird. Um, when I lived there, they helped me trap a second year eagle that trained absolutely lovely. Um, I was drawn this last year and I took a third year eagle. And that's those are really great ages, especially for a new eagle falconer, because you don't have to deal with, they've matured. You don't have to deal with so much aggression. They already know how to hunt. They already have it directed towards game. So you've got a nice heads up to get your ducks in a row with that bird before uh, you would start, you're, you are less likely to frustrate an eagle like that. Whereas if you took a true passage, a first year eagle, maybe it hasn't caught all that much yet. Um, maybe it's still dependent on following its siblings around. Maybe it's eating mostly carrion. And those kinds of birds, you've really got to do a quick turnaround on and really get them flying on a lure machine or hunting quite quickly. Um, and it's quite easy to, to cause, mm, to see how do I want to say this for imprint like behaviors to appear in Eagles like that, which is not always a bad thing, but if you're not prepared and you don't channel it in the right way, it can be difficult. Um, so I sometimes new people that are interested in trapping the Eagle, I'm, uh, a little concerned when they want to take as young a bird as possible, when really a second or third year eagle, in, at least in Central Asia, is considered the ideal, and I would say is the the easiest, quote unquote, um, eagle to train. Okay. And uh, I mean, for those who might not know, then um, differentiating between say a second and a third year and you know the the eight like appropriately aging one then yeah very important of course um also a reason why it's good to have someone experienced with you uh so a true first year bird you know tons there's very there's a lot of natural variation so it can be an art to doing this but a lot of white on their tail, uh, maybe a very small black bar at the end. They have white wing windows, very uniform color uh, because they've only grown in the one plumage. And each year an eagle tends to molt, it depends on how well they've been feeding themselves and other factors, but about half their tail, 
half their primaries. So quite quickly, second, third, fourth year, you get a very modeled look. And they tend to drop the decks and then the outermost feathers uh, first of the tail. So you might see in each year there is progressively less white. Um, so it'd be common to trap an eagle with a very white tail, except for the decks and the outer ones, they, they're um, maybe only two-thirds white or half white, because that's the next year's coming down. Um, but it's you definitely want opinions. You seek second opinions on these things. Um, there's some good journal articles that have been published to look at, but it's it pays to do your homework. Uh, and then, of course, male or female. Uh, <laughs> I feel bad saying this because my preference is female, though it's based in no logic whatsoever. The easier bird to fly is definitely the male. Um, a typical fly weight for a male is six to seven pounds. Typical fly weight for a female is a lot less than people tend to think. One of my pet peeves is this huge exaggeration that goes on with weights and you can fatten an eagle up quite a bit, but typical fly weight for a North American golden eagle is eight and a half to nine and a half pounds. Anything over nine and a half, and I'm starting to get a little dubious if the person hasn't caught, hasn't had a lot of experience catching game. Um, but uh, but males, of course, they're they're used to being bullied by the females. They tend to take to falconry really well. I love females because of their big bulk. They just fly like a freight train. And when they're really going, it's just such a cool flight. Um, but you you do have to lug around that extra bit of bird and there's, there's a little bit more to them. Uh, and so, you know, that's another important thing is it's, you can't get around the physicality that's required. Uh, you don't want to do a disservice to your eagle by not physically being able to carry it around for long periods of time to show it optimum slips. Um, and I, I speak from experience because I have flown eagles when I was unfit and it, it is the worst. It sucks. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> like It's so much easier uh, if you have some basic fitness there. Uh, so that's quite important. Uh, and then, I mean, of course, we'll we'll get into this, um, on this podcast, but jackrabbits, I'm, I, it's, it is, that is the backbone of it all. Um, so a lot of times people ask, how do I prepare for an eagle? And my number one bit of advice would be learn how to hunt jackrabbits with another bird of prey, you know, learn how to find them, learn the field craft of how to set up an advantageous slip for a red tail or a goshawk or a phrygianus hawk, anything, because that's, that's how you make your relationship with the eagle is showing it catchable jackrabbit slips over and over again. But the, and they will love you for it if you can just do that one thing. Interesting. Okay. Well, and I do remember... You know, it's I don't. It may not be the right time to segue into this question, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it because I do remember years ago, whenever you came and and talked to our club in Indiana, um, talking about that that being the best way to make a a good hunting eagle for falconry. But if you wanted to take other types of quarry then 
those should almost kind of come as almost kind of like a secondary type, you know, deal like after you make them on Jackrabbits first to establish the relationship. Am I remembering that correctly? No, you are spot on. I that's exactly what I think. Um, once you build that hunting relationship through catching jackrabbits, then you can stretch the eagle a little bit beyond what it's got instincts for. The cool thing about jackrabbits is golden eagles and hares have co-evolved together for millions of years. They've every single golden eagle out there wants to catch a jackrabbit. It's just in the chase itself, even before they're catching them, the chase is a huge reward. There's nothing that switches them on like that flash of fur and the way a jackrabbit flushes. So that's hugely motivating for them. And your other quarries that people are interested in, various varying degrees of suitability, you know, cottontails, turkeys, geese, deer, uh, uh, they don't have that kind of instinct for. I mean, yeah, they might catch them if the circumstance is right and they're feeling good and it's an open slip. But, but if you start your eagle, say on Canada geese, which is something a lot of people have an idea to do, you're really setting yourself up for a lot of frustration because that bird isn't motivated to hunt them without a lot of coaxing to begin with. And what might appear like a really easy slip, a goose slip, really isn't. They're very eagle savvy and they're fast. And as soon as they really get airborne, they're too fast for a golden eagle. So it's got to be a mugging type thing. And it's just not, it's, it's really a square peg in a round hole. Whereas jackrabbits, I mean, you will see things when you fly a golden eagle on jackrabbits that you will never see a jackrabbit do otherwise. It's, it's just incredible the amount of innate instinct that they have to counter the maneuvers of the eagle. And then like the evolutionary arms race, the eagle has maneuvers just built in to counter the hare's maneuvers. Um, and it's, it's, I'm, it's, it's so rewarding. I, I don't know how many <laughs> jackrabbit flights I've seen with eagles, a thousand, two thousand, and, and they're never boring. I mean, I'm, I'm never bored. I could see another thousand and it would just blow my socks off. Um, so it's, I, I don't necessarily, if you don't live in jackrabbit country, that's okay. But then within your plan, you have to have trips out West to show your Eagle jackrabbits, in my opinion, unless you want a really difficult uphill battle. I got you. Yeah. So budget accordingly, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, so as far as, you know, the I guess another very important topic for well any bird of prey in particular, but I'm assuming even especially so for an eagle, is uh is diet and you know like what should someone or how much food and what type of food should someone really make sure they have in abundance before even getting one to kind of keep it in weight you know on weight I should say and. Uh, and in good and good health. Uh, I, I use quail, so I order high quality quail, um, and they eat one to two a day, depending on how fit they are and 
what we're doing. Um, I like it when we are catching jackrabbits because it's free. And of course they do extremely well on a jackrabbit diet. For me, it's, it's quail and jackrabbits is really all I feed and um, they'll do just fine on quail as well. Yeah. Well, I'm, like I said, that's one of the questions I usually like asking people, no matter what they're flying, it's mm. what they're feeding their birds, because especially with like, when you get into long wings and, and other types of, of raptors, well, you know, falconers and their theories and opinions, you know, it's uh, <laughs> one, one person, you, know, you ask one person and, oh, I, you know, if I feed quail, you know, whatever. And then, you know, you ask another person, oh, no, I don't, I don't feed quail that's mm-hmm. you know yeah you know, that type of thing and and so i was just curious you know i mean i i guess you you said the the key words there though being high quality quail you know yeah i i really of course i think that makes no matter what you are you are what you eat yeah <laughs> um and it's you will have a big if you're not regularly catching jackrabbits you're going to have a big quail bill so you should be prepared for that as well mm-hmm. um yeah but uh you yeah. better start uh, start raising your own <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but uh okay well then i guess as far as you know this the other aspects of what goes into all of this then kind of like go ahead and take us on the trajectory then like you've already trapped you know, you've gotten all this other stuff out of the way. And as far as training then and manning, go ahead and kind of go into that some. Yeah, great question. Uh, so I like to do as low stress training as possible and very little manning. Sometimes eagles can be asper prone. And with a newly trapped bird that you've worked so hard to get, the last thing I want to do is stress it unnecessarily. And the beauty of it is you don't have to. Uh, I start with a strobe, uh, which some falconers use here in the States. I learned from Simone Cook and Joel Knutson. They did it with their passage uh, goshawks and gerfalcons up in Alaska. And it works great. Uh, I bought a strobe on eBay. uh, And so, of course, you start. So you have a brand new, newly trapped bird. I'm keeping it hooded 24-7. And um, which will sit quite nicely on a perch right off the trap hooded. And you want a nice, well-fitting hood. Larry Ray makes the best eagle hoods in the country. Wide eye panels, very comfortable for the eagle to be in for long periods of time. And so the first time I offer food, I go in a very dark, completely dark room and I put the strobe on its slowest setting. So it's maybe a flash every second. And so the the eagle's on my glove and I've got an open quail on my glove and they can see on the flashes, in the flashes of the strobe, the quail, but they don't quite process their surroundings or the fact that you're there. It's, It's very interesting. And it might take them a few days to eat, but once they start eating, then I increase the strobe speed a little bit every day until you're full speed, which then the light is flashing so quickly, they can almost see... They can pretty much see everything, but but still the nature of their eyes and the strobe light, they don't, there's very little fear reaction. They don't seem to clock what you are, the thing that's attached to the glove that has the food in it. Um, so once they're eating in the full speed strobe, 
And, th and this is, these are short sessions that I do once a day, takes maybe 20 minutes. Uh, I move to a dim room and then work my way up to a fully lit room. Then maybe I add a few distractions like a dog or a friend in the room. Then I go outside. And once they are happy to eat out of my glove, when the hood comes off outside in this short session, only these very short sessions, then I start tethering them in the mew. And from there, I change my tactic a little bit. Um, and this I learned from Joe Atkinson, a uh, great eagle falconer here in Oregon. Uh, so once I'm tethering them in the mews, the first step is I just open the door of the mew and throw in a quail. And maybe I keep the door cracked a little bit and they, I can look at them while they jump down and eat the quail. The next day I open the door a little bit more and I, every day I push, I insert myself into that bird's space while it's eating until I'm, I have a long screen perch in the mew until I'm sitting on the perch with them. And then I ask them to take the quail out of my glove. And then, so every day we're just working a little bit more and it's still these very short sessions. It's all around, it's positive because it's built around food. I don't do any extraneous manning. Um, and then once they'll take food out of my glove, the quail out of my glove, I then hold on to it. And so they try to take it, but they can't and they step up to the glove. All right, so now you've got an eagle that will come over to you and step up to your glove for food. And at that point, then you can start hooding them, weighing them, and I go right away to the lure. So the, the backbone of eagle training, no matter where you go in the world, is lure flying. And by that, I mean the eagle leaving your glove to chase a lure that's dragged at speed. And you can use anything. In Mongolia, they use horses. I, I helped a falconer in uh, Zambia that did it on a bicycle, which I thought was so creative. I've done it on uh, with trucks, with ATVs, with golf carts, uh, an RC car, or my personal favorite that I use these days is a lure machine, like the Bull X machine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, so this is, that's, that is the backbone of your training, because there you are positioning that eagle mentally to to understand everything so it, it leaves your glove it chases something it catches it it gets a reward you are there you're a positive part of it but it's not coming to you for food it's not bullying you for food it's it's developing its fitness this way it's giving it confidence and catching things um, you're working on your trade-off um, being fair with that and once it's so I work towards the goal of being able to chase the lure pulled fast, a couple hundred yards, several times in a session. And then we pretty much just go hunting. Um, I might do a very basic recall check uh, with this passage eagle that I'm flying now. I just, I asked her to come 10 feet to my glove a couple times, and then we just went hunting. I think people can get a little caught up in maybe what they did with their passage red tail, where they want to get all the steps perfect and lined up before they go hunting. Like, oh, it has to come 
100 yards instantly on the Koreans or something. But that's really counterproductive in this case. Um, and I don't find recall to develop very well until you're hunting because they'll put it together quite quickly. They'll realize the glove is the place to be. That's where I get the next slip. And that's highly motivating for them. So they'll fly themselves into a good recall routine rather than if you try to establish it beforehand, you might be doing too much, putting too much focus on you as a source of food without the hunting context to keep it from getting possessive. Um, but yeah, so that's it. Uh, and then I, I, so for entering Eagles and I, personally like to fly at least a few seasons off the fist. So there's no following on, there's no going from tree to tree or telephone poles or anything or hills. It's, it's, I am setting up the slip where the eagle leaves my glove and has an opportunity to catch a jackrabbit that I've flushed. That really, I mean, right there, that's the tether to you. That's the most important. And so if you do start soaring, that eagle already wants to follow you because it knows, you know, wants to, it'll be, want to be overhead because it knows that you are the provider of slips. Whereas if you tried to soar without having hunted off the fist first, it might be more difficult to establish that since orchestrating slips takes a little more um, from a soar. But uh, yeah, and I mean, so it's, you know, getting your eagle ready to hunt off the fist and hunting off the fist is all quite simple, really. And then that's where your field craft of orchestrating a good jackrabbit slip comes to the fore, using the wind properly, hunting in places without too much cover. Uh, I think sometimes people tend to think here in the States, wow, eagles are big and impressive. They can catch anything. But really, they're big size can be restrictive in some ways. And so the onus is really on you to try to get crosswind or downwind flights. Um, they're also very attuned to the cost benefit of particular flights, you know, powering upwind a hundred yards. Maybe if they feel really good in that moment, they might do that, but they often won't because they know it's got a low chance of success. Um, but, uh, but, once you've got that all honed, it's, it's, it's amazing. You don't even have to think. I have my eagle unhooded on my glove and I walk the field in a certain way. And I, I know it's not going to fly unless it sees a catchable hair. And it's just total zen, really. Um, but I would also add the other really important thing someone that wants to fly an eagle should do in this country, aside from learn how to hunt jackrabbits is go out with an eagle falconer that's catching game because maybe you won't like it. <laughs> it's even though I love it, I call it death marching. You know, it's hours of walking and some falconers don't find the fights flights very exciting. And you should know from the get go, whether it's something that, motivates you as a falconer or not yeah that's uh pretty good advice <laughs> yeah because i mean anybody that has hunted jackrabbits with any species of raptor knows about the death marching 
Yeah. And sometimes it can be arduous enough with just a one and a half to two pounds, say, you know, red tail or Harris Hawk or something, let alone a, a five to eight pound, you know, golden, golden Eagle. And a lot of people are like, well, oh, five pounds. That's not, that's not that much. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I've, uh, I mean, I've, I've held a golden Eagle on a glove for five to 10 minutes before and just standing in place like that. I was ready to, to hand it back over. <laughs> yeah. Your shoulder feels like it's going to literally just detach from its own socket. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it's they're they're a lot heavier than what they seem and look, and it's only going to be compounded by, you know, walking around all that, all that time too. Oh yeah. And I wish people are always like, Oh, your left bicep must be huge. It doesn't really do that. It, <laughs> I wish it did <laughs> really. It's just like my back hurts. If I, if I death march too much. So I try to do like exercises you know, in the gym for my back. It's, Oh uh, yeah. But that's a big part of it. You, you have to get to the point where you're not thinking, oh, this thing is so heavy or, oh, I'm so tired. You can just focus on what that bird needs and getting the next slip and being a good mobile perch, which really in the beginning, you are just a glorified mobile perch for that bird. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and another quick question too, regarding equipment, particularly hoods. I mean, there's certain species where you kind of need to go trapping and have, you know, a, a pretty good pretty decent size assortment handy you know just to make sure you have something that might fit decently from the get-go how hard is it to really get uh i like do, do you need a, a wide variety of of eagle hoods to see to get one to fit or, or have you seen you know just a couple sizes usually fitting pretty universally well um so larry ray this uh my the go-to eagle hood maker here in the U.S., I he's got so his eagle sizes are 31, 32, and thirty three. Which typically thirty one's male, thirty three's female. Thirty two can kind of go either way, but that's fit everything I've ever had. Um, so his hoods are expensive. I think they're two hundred a piece now. Um, if you had at least two of those sizes, you should be pretty good and then that would give you time to order another one if it didn't fit quite right because it's still very minute minute differences between them uh but yeah that's that's something that we sometimes see where people get drawn to go trapping and show up and they don't have the equipment lined up either they don't have hoods they don't have anklets um, I really like Mike Craig's uh, braided gear for Jess's and leashes. Um, but, but you need to have everything. You need a perch that you can put in the motel room that you're staying at because you probably will be in one if you're traveling out to Wyoming and um, tarps to keep the room clean. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of equipment that, yes, you should definitely have totally lined up for different possibilities Um if you get drawn to go trapping. Yeah. I mean, and that, yeah, it goes for pretty much any species. You should have everything there and ready and yeah. don't, don't be that person that inevitably you will be whenever you're inexperienced at times, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
yeah, we've all found ourselves in those situations needing something that we didn't have. Unfortunately, I think it's just part of the um, falconry curse amongst every other thing in life, I guess. But uh, but yeah, so as far as, you know, like I'm trying to think of some of the other important topics that we might not have covered yet. Do you think can you think of anything off the top of your head that we haven't covered yet that might be really important that just haven't touched on yet or um well so let's see um i did want to say uh so i'm hosting a eagle workshop at the next nafa meet so it'll be you know it's in over thanksgiving week in Kearney, nebraska and this will just be a room we haven't decided which day where if you're interested come ask me questions and I'll go over the basics and then we will all go out hunting together. We'll death march together <laughs> for jackrabbits so people can experience what it's actually like. Um, but that, and then I, I did want to mention, um, so uh, another thing, you know, if you want to fly a red tail, you go buy Liam McGranahan's book. There's just, there's no book that I can really recommend for practical information for the American Eagle Falconer. Uh, so I'm working on one. <laughs> uh, Matt Mullinex with his four falconry fundamentals was very inspirational to me because he breaks down, I mean, it's the very things we've been speaking about, the, the core components of what you need to be successful. And that's what I want to mirror, but just for eagles, the field craft that you need, the the training that you need to do. And and there are a lot of different ways to skin a cat for any kind of falconry, but, but you do have to, it's good to have these fundamentals in mind. Um, and I want to see more Eagle falconers because we live in such a great place for it. I want to see more young Eagle falconers that can go lug around an eight pound bird for hours, just for the 30 seconds of an amazing jackrabbit flight. And uh, the more accessible this information is, the more people can either stop themselves from making a bad decision, maybe they're just not set up right now for to get an eagle, or realize, hey, this isn't something that only people that have been in it 40 years and have a million dollars can do. I could do it, too. I got you. Well, let's also be really careful, too, about giving Molinex just too much credit now. <laughs> we got to... We got we got to take a step back. I mean, let, let's let's be real here. We can't uh, we can't we can't be having our boy having too big of a head. I mean, it, we you know you know how he gets. You know how he gets. Uh, I really hope yeah. he listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, he. Um, yeah. No. Good dude. Great. Great author for sure. But. Uh, at any rate. Well, I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, unfortunately, there there's a lot of things that there really isn't good written works for just yet, for whatever reason. And uh, even after all these centuries, you know, you would you would think, you know, there's there's probably some written work somewhere that got lost in some random, you know, <laughs> library fire or something around the world we, that we don't know about. Who knows? But uh, but yeah, no, I I. uh commend you i guess like i said i any anybody that's willing to take on a venture such as you know writing a book or doing anything that 
willing to put themselves out there in that manner. I mean, I, I, I think it's a, it's a good idea. And, uh, you know, hopefully you don't, uh, run into too many, too many issues, <laughs> frustration or otherwise getting, getting that, all that material out there for people. But I do agree that it's, it's a topic that probably does need to have something out there for sure. And, you know, kudos to you for being the, uh, the sacrificial lamb in that regard, as far as, uh, deciding to undertake the, uh, the task at hand, I guess. So, well, it's some of it's selfish because I get calls from people and I am, I am an introvert and I'm phone phobic. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to take training calls. Oh yeah. But then, but then people are going to want to meet you in person and then like get the book from you in person and then talk to you in person. So, you know, you, I don't know if you've quite thought it through yet, but, but I commend you. Like I said, I commend you for it. And Matt Mullinex can be yeah. my, uh, my surrogate for the, well, yeah, he can, <laughs> the public facing well, sure, part. He can just take his little <laughs> teardrop camper part. around the country and sell your books along with his, I guess, and be your, be your spokesperson. <laughs> And yeah, and you know, so of course, to be clear, like, I do not think there's a big market here. And I'm not trying to make any money. I really just want it the yeah, I want the knowledge to be accessible for sure. people that are willing to put in the sure. work. And then yeah, then we can I get to see more great eagles yeah. fly yeah. more no, jackrabbits. I mean, and, and that's great. Because <laughs> I mean, really right now, I mean, just out of curiosity, how many eagle falconers are there right now currently what's the current number of people that are actively flying on game right now in the country so it's so this is part of my motivation because it hasn't changed in a long time i mean i can maybe think of off the top of my head six people like so half a dozen that i know that are consistently catching game and then a few more may come on for a while or fall off but it's under 10 it's it's not a lot um, and like I said, it's not rocket science. There's, uh, you give me a Merlin, <laughs> I I would die of stress. But the, yeah. the Eagles are a lot less stressful in some ways. Yeah. You don't need uh, yeah. much weight no, management. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. Um, I, I was wondering because I didn't think it was probably much more than single digits. But you know, the, that was around the number that I had heard last as well. You know, maybe around a half a dozen or so. But. Yeah. And if we're so 72 people put into this national lottery last year, and if we're going to have 72 people put in, I like I want to see more game catching eagles. I I don't want to see them just disappear. And then you wonder, well, I wonder what happened, what went wrong. It's it. Yeah. So I I guess I'm I'm just passionate about this niche and I want to see it succeed. Yeah. Well, and, and like I said, that's commendable and, you know, it, for the furtherment of, or for the betterment of the whole sport in general, we need, we're going to need more people in, in coming generations that are willing to put themselves out in some way, shape or form or another, to just keep things going. And whether, you know, whatever extent that contribution is, is entirely up to them. Doesn't necessarily have to be big, you know, like writing a book (laughs) per se. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a lot. I think I don't know. I worry personally about a lot of the the niche stuff, as, as you as you as you mentioned, starting to fall by the wayside. And I don't want to see anything do that either. 
any more than anybody else does. But unfortunately, the the only downside and is is just you know, like you said, not everybody lives west of the Mississippi, unfortunately. And, you know, that whole obstacle with not having ready access to, to jackrabbits, I, you know, I mean, unfortunately, it's, it's a, it's a big, it's a big determinant, it's a big hinderer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And at least, at least they can, they can put their name in that hat knowing that. And then if their plan is to fly Canada geese and, and it all goes wrong, then, you know, you can't say they weren't warned. Um, but, <laughs> but I agree with you. It's, it's even, well, I don't want to get uh, into anything too depressing. I mean, of course we, so many of us Falconers feel this sense of clinging to something that we wonder how much longer it's going to be around with, you know, even jackrabbit populations overall in the U.S. seem to be on a downward trend. And I, you know, it might be okay for our lifetimes, but I just, I don't know. I, at least the knowledge can be out there. But I, yeah, I, I, it's, it's such a magical thing. And I, one thing that's so cool about man, I shouldn't say this about Molinex is how he, (laughs) he finds the wild that comes through the cracks in his crazy urban environment, um, you know, in Baton Rouge and, you know, has his Kestrel and he, he, he does legit falconry there in a crazy environment. Uh, he, he makes the wild happen in a place you would never expect. And, uh, yeah, you can't do that with an eagle, obviously, but but we can run away to places <laughs> with eagles at least. <laughs> sure. Well, and and just going back to that real quick, briefly, I mean, I, I remember you mentioning something about like two weeks being a good number. Like if you if you had like two weeks to really just set aside to to hunt your eagle every day and get them going on jackrabbits and stuff. I mean, what what kind of time frame? for that is kind of a, a good starting marker, do you think? Yeah, good question. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, how long is a piece of string? Uh, it's just dependent on different factors. And I, I have done whole seasons where all my hawking was just hawking trips, uh, which I've, I'm glad I don't do that right now. It's, it can be exhausting. Uh, so the lure machine is your friend. You know, if, as long as you, that's, hmm, it's hard to put a number out there. The more, the better. Uh, I would say eagles can probably get away with less than you would expect and still do pretty good. I know people that just take a few very intense hawking trips a year and their eagles do well. Um, but they also have the experience to um, help cultivate that. So, yeah, I mean, I would say to start, if you're new to this and you plan to travel, give yourself like two weeks to start, give your bird time to fail, give your bird time to be tired and build muscle. And then as you both get better, you can get away with shorter and shorter trips and fewer and fewer. Um, but of course, the more, the better. All right. And, you know, if you're going <laughs> to spend the gas money to go all the way out west, however long of a drive that is for you, 
yeah, you don't just want to go for like two days either. <laughs> you know, I mean, there, there, yeah. there's that factor as well. So, but, but yeah, well, I mean, I think we covered a lot of, a lot of good, you know, information in this. And I mean, for some people it might seem, you know, whatever, a little bit more common knowledge than others. But I think that as you, I mean, kind of, you, you mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a very valid you know, there's very valid reasoning behind wanting to get the information out there, especially with such an uptick in people that have an interest in in doing it. Because, you know, when you're when you're talking about only like a half a dozen people right now being able to to kind of do it successfully on average, and that number shooting up to like seventy two or whatever, seventy three or whatever the number was, like, yeah, I mean, it, people kind of need to know. <laughs> that the you know that's maybe not you know the the best option like you said or you know one way or the other it's it's good just to have the information out there either way but. yeah and it's important like the idea of eagles is really cool and captivating and people latch on to that but then there's the reality of what it's really like yeah and that's great for you know, some people it's still completely magical and some it's not. Uh, but yeah. Um, if they're going, if we're going to have people put in for the lottery at this rate, I, I want, I want them to know what all the pieces of the puzzle are to have a good relationship with their Eagle. Yeah. Yep. Well, and yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> If you don't know how to develop that, then or with any bird of prey, period, like you're not going to have a good time. So it's <laughs> at mm. all, at all, at all. So, no, it's very it's very important. And, you know, I appreciate you reaching out to to do this and take the time and like caring about wanting to do this, you know, for sure as well. But I mean, is there any last uh, little bits of morsels that you want to throw out there or share for people or Ooh. i mean is there anything else that you can think of that like i said we i mean i'm, I'm trying to think you know while we're actually both have the time to do this i <laughs> don't want to leave anything out but at the same time it's like i mean i know we did cover a lot of stuff so yeah i guess i would just say so i know you have a big international audience and i have many eagle mentors abroad and i hope i didn't make them cringe too much <laughs> with anything that i said uh but i would i would also encourage somebody that is interested i mean going up going abroad is going to teach you a lot especially as it comes to eagles i mean you go to the uk and europe and there is decades and decades of tradition there there's captive breeding there's imprinting there's chamber rays there's roe deer and foxes and hares down to a science. Um, there's a very welcoming community if you can death march um, or Central Asia in the right places. That's not too touristy where they're flying passage birds or South Africa. I They fly not because those eagles are so specialized for their environment. It's, it's different, not directly applicable to golden eagles, but but just the considerations for aggression and getting a good slip for a big bodied bird that's a bit restricted in what it can do, that'll teach you something. Uh, so I think 
yeah, I, of course, tra- you know, the famous thing travels fatal to prejudice. It's, it's fatal to being a crappy falconer too, in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you. It's, uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, it seems like there's, it's, it's hard to, and I'm trying to think of how to put this, but seeing as many different aspects or facets of knowledge before you get into something is never usually a bad thing. And sometimes you can always end up stumbling upon some bad resources here and there, but I know that's, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy doing this is because I get to talk to so many people and have gotten to meet so many different people now in person that do a lot of different things. And, you know, getting like to go over to the UK and talk to some of these different guys that do fly Eagles and and other things, you know, I mean, you you can never gain too much knowledge before you get into something. Yeah. So it's a great point. And you just reminded me (laughs) something else I I think would be good to put out there. Um, So, and this is true with any niche in falconry, but of course, find yourself a mentor, even if you're a master falconer in this new niche that you're pursuing. And I, um, I helped, my good friend Jamaica Smith with her first Eagle, but she's an amazing falconer and she didn't need me. But all I did was really tell her that's normal. (laughs) Oh, that Eagle being aggressive. That's normal. Don't worry about it. It's fine. You're doing great. Like, like we don't have to reinvent the wheel, you know, (laughs) and a mentor can just tell you, I don't know. That was, that has been huge for me in the past because, uh, overthink, particularly with Eagles, it's not good to overthink, keep it simple. (laughs) And just having someone tell you, no, that's, that's all normal. You're uh, keep swimming. You're on the right path, um, (laughs) is, is, is big. So, uh, yeah, if, if anybody out there is really in, is like dedicated, um, if you, you know, death march with me a little bit, and, um, you know, be open to advice and like, we want to help, we want to help others experience good Eagle falconry. It's, it's, uh, I don't know, for me, it's one of the best things there is. So we should share it for sure. Well, go ahead and share the, uh, the website information then for, for the club. And, and I think that's probably going to be a, probably as good of, a note to end on as any, I think. So, so yeah, just go ahead and share that again. Where anybody get in touch with anybody that that wants to to see eagles fly and and do the death march with with whoever they're you know they can <laughs> arrange it with. Yeah, go ahead and and give that information out, and I think we can probably call this good. Yeah, our website is www.eagleostringers.com. It's for the IEAA, the International Eagle Ostringers Association. Um, yeah, join, we will send you a journal. Um, and I, I am phone phobic, but I am always open to help people to to help serious people also. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Well, go ahead and hang on here after we stop this and we'll, we'll finish up. But at any rate, I appreciate you reaching out and, you know, keeping us in mind and everything for, uh, for this and you know for anything else in the future i mean like i said these are always fun to do and you know like i said it's 
I'm glad that we were able to to connect and and make this one uh make this one happen. So yeah, no, thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm it's uh, I'm excited for us to get to hawk together yeah. at some point. Hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah, hopefully soon. Well, hopefully, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about that whenever we whenever we officially end the recording. But uh, but yeah, no, that that'll be a uh, fun. There's so many people, so many friends uh, that. I, I still haven't gotten to actually hawk with in person yet that I, you know, like I said, it's, it's really kind of strange thinking about that sometimes, you know, there's just so many friends that, that we have that I, <laughs> you know, even after all these years, just, I don't know, it, it's for whatever reason or another, hopefully it'll happen at some point. So anyway, all right, Lauren, well, we'll go ahead and stop the recording here. And uh, like I said, thanks again for, for helping make this happen. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Talk again soon here.